I would invite you to open up your bulletin, and there's uh, some sermon notes in there. If that is helpful to you, that would be fantastic. So, you would certainly all agree with me that your ability to communicate is a work in progress. <laughs> I got one amen. I got a resounding amen in your internal voice. How humbling it is then to stand before you as one whose ability to communicate is a work in progress because my foibles and flaws are done in front of all of you looking at me every week. Here's what is powerful and that I want to start with this morning is that God will help you in your growth in communication. I hope you know that I pray for you regularly throughout the week as I'm preparing, as I'm jotting down notes, as I'm turning to scriptures, as I'm deciding what to say and what not to say, what stays in and what doesn't stay in, that I think of your faces. And this morning, I can't help but believe that today could be a day where there is some sort of key that unlocks a place that you've been stuck in, in your relationships, that maybe today will be a reminder of some key building block that you begin to build on again in your ability to communicate, that God may awaken fresh desire to give you a new insight I believe if we're humble enough, we can learn things, even though we sit in the same chairs, listen to the same old guy week after week, open the same Bible, that God gives us fresh insights to our lives. God has designed our mouth and our tongue and our lips and our mind to work in concert to give him praise. Amen? Amen. That's what he's designed it to do. Proverbs, or Psalm says this, Psalm says, strengthen me according to your word. I can be certain that communication in your marriage can radically change for the better today, supernaturally, because God has said so. The very fact that we have a communicating God gives us immense hope. I actually created a longer list, but let me give you three ways that it gives us tremendous hope that the God we serve is a communicating God. Number one is this. You and I are made in His image. God is a communicating God, and you've been made in His image to reflect a communicating God. Number two is this. God models speaking well. You can speak well because God's shown us how to do it. We're to be imitators of God. And number three, it is in line with God's will that you use your mouth well. So when you pray, God, I'm a work in progress with my mouth, would you help me use it to just be a flow of worship instead of a flow for evil? That is in line with God's will. I posted on our Facebook page this week that there were no perfect people allowed. This is true every week in church. If you're a perfect person, you'll come in here 
And you won't receive anything, will you? You won't have any room to grow. James 3 says this, For we all stumble in many ways. (sighs) That's a relief. Ever think you're the only one that's walking in here with struggles? You're not. Come as you are, is what we say over and over and over and over again. For we all stumble in many ways. Watch this. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to control his whole body. That's highlighting what we're going to talk about today, our speech. So we are all a work in progress. The importance of speaking well cannot be overstated. Proverbs 18 says this, that the power of life and death are in the tongue. Think about that. The power of life and death are in the power of the tongue. You don't need to turn there, but in John 6, Jesus is teaching in church. And as he's teaching in church, he severely ruffles the feathers of all the religious types who are there with his mouth. And soon they begin to hurl insults and they begin to question and they begin to try to school Jesus, which is quite comical whenever you see uh, the created thing trying to school the creator. And pretty soon his own disciples begin to pull away. Think about our day and age. Isn't it true that when there's a controversy, people begin to pull away? You don't know whose side to be on. You don't want to be caught being a disciple, a follower, someone who's kind of, you know, uh, around that person who's, who's socially now just sort of blown themselves up. So his own disciples are pulling back. And Jesus says this, by the way, Jesus speaks well. He's our model. So Jesus speaking well proves that life-giving, grace-filled, truth-filled speech is not always comfortable. And I would say it's regularly not popular. So Jesus said things that were uncomfortable. Jesus says things today that are uncomfortable for us. And he certainly says things that are not popular in any culture. So here's Jesus speaking words of life. His own disciples pull back and distance themselves. And he turns to the twelve and he says this. Do you want to go away as well? And do you remember the answer? The answer of Peter who speaks up first is this. Lord, to who else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I want you to open your Bible right now. And I'm not going to tell you where to open your Bible to. I want you to have your Bible open. If you have a Bible app, pull it out. I want to begin this morning by letting our lips be used as God would intend to call out praise to God. And here's how I want to keep it focused this morning. What words of life are the cause of you not abandoning your Savior? Jesus, to who else would we go? This is a hard saying. We don't get it. 
It's not comfortable. My popularity is plummeting by the second. I don't know the repercussions of what it's going to be to stay around you, but we can't go anywhere else. The power of life and death are in the tongue. We've never heard anyone speak the way you do. We have to be around you. So in a spirit of prayer, I invite you to close your eyes, except for reading your Bible, except for looking up. And it's okay, by the way. One of the best Bible study tools we have is called Google. Seriously, even better than some of my Bible apps, you type in sort of the way you think it goes, and it will pull up hits of the Bible. It's incredible. So we don't need to have chapter and verse. God has given you promises. You have meditated on his word. You've fed on his word. You can call out. We don't even need the whole chapter or the entire passage. Just a start in the right direction, a sentence or two. And just say, God, these are the words of eternal life. And we call them back to you. And as we pray this to God, here's what's going to happen. Your own spirit is going to be lifted up as the community of faith calls out words of eternal life. And here's the prompt. God, I'm not abandoning you because you have the words of eternal life. Here they are. So let's pray together. We're going to linger over this. God may want a short sermon this week. I have 12 pages of notes. I usually have five. No joke. We've split this into two messages. So we're going to linger here for a bit. Our attention collectively is going to be vertical. If you're new with us, if you're uncomfortable with this, you will not be forced to pray out loud. Just sit quietly and kind of observe what's going on. And let's lift our voices to God in prayer, telling, us, telling him the words of life. I'll get us started. God, you've told us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who else? Just lift up your voices, the words of life. God, when we are tempted to pull away, God, when we're tempted to go elsewhere, it's these truths, it's these words of eternal life. God, help us to remember them Help them to influence and affect our week. God, I pray that those words that you just gave to us would shape our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're talking about talking because it is so vital to our relationships, what comes out of our mouth. It's funny because this has been in my notes uh, from the start of the week. But we have all known the frustration of talking with a bad phone signal, right? Last night, I am on the phone with someone who's in this room, and we are having that same issue. <laughs> I don't know if it's more frustrating to be the one who's not being heard, or the, or, who's here, like this, you know, and you're just like, um, but, but we all know that. And again, like it's, it's great that we have it, but when it fails, it's just so frustrating to try and have that conversation. What I want to talk about is four signal killers to dialogue, to kind of just get our brains thinking about diagnosing where's the communication breakdown happening uh, in our lives. Now, one of the things we did uh, probably in year two or three is we decided to go really old school with name tags because of this. 
There is a simple barrier to relationships sometimes. Ron is wearing a name tag. So Ron has his name tag on. And, and here's what we decided. We decided a name tag is never for us. A name tag is a gift to someone else that says this. You may think that you should know my name by now. Because we see each other every week. But it's a little awkward. And I don't want to say, hey boss, how's it going? Because that's clearly, I don't remember your name. So I just called you boss. Which is really weird. So by you putting the word Ron on a name tag, I can go, that's right, it's Ron. We talked last week. I said I'd pray for him. I did pray for him. I just didn't remember his name. I figured the Lord remembered his name. So I can come up and go, Ron, how are you? And everyone loves to hear their own name. That's not a prideful thing. That's just God's called us by name. So just wearing a name tag, actually, do you see how that overcomes potential relationship? Like you you go, I should have known his name. I don't remember. I'm going to go over here. I know John's name. I'll talk to John. So a simple name tag does that. We are starting something brand new this morning. You will see in the men's and ladies' restrooms a giant pump of Listerine with little Dixie cups. Imagine the confidence that you can have knowing that a couple simple pumps of Listerine kills millions of germs on contact. Millions of reasons that I can now have a close, intimate conversation with you. I could be in a small prayer circle. And I don't need to have extra energy going away to going, Wow, I've been drinking coffee all morning and I haven't brushed. And I didn't have time to brush. So we're going to help you brush your breath. And this is this one simple thing may benefit your marriage in millions. Millions of ways. Now here's why no one's in the front row. After telling you about this, I haven't used Listerine since drinking coffee all morning. So that's, that's why there's a little bit of space here. So if you come up to me afterwards and ask for prayer, I'm going to be thinking about that. Uh, and I will run and use some. Now, let me give you a couple. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Um, but number one sort of uh, dialogue buster is we underestimate the power of speech. Proverbs 12, reckless words pierces like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Haven't we already experienced this morning the power of positive speech? What a gift to just be with God's people and to hear God's word prayed back to him, called back to him, lifting us all up. The signal drops in communication when we fail to appreciate the potential for destruction That this little member of the body can cause. Right now our state is going through historic levels of destruction. And it's a biblical picture of the power of speech. James chapter 3. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. If we chose to take time, we could hear horror stories of the things that have been said to us, 
that have shaped our lives as we took on that lie, as we took on that story, as we wore that label because it was given to us by the most important person in our lives as a child. And we could also tell horror stories of those words that escaped our mouth and we said, oh, if I could just have that moment back again. I wonder if that relationship could have been saved. I wonder if that day, that week, that trajectory would be altered. If you pay attention to politics, it is an ongoing war zone of words. What's amazing is as you turn your gaze around culture, no arena is immune. Education, the arts, business, entertainment, sciences, and yes, the church and family. The tongue sets things ablaze. And the destruction can't be, you can't take a picture of it the way you can a fire. You can't be impressed by it. But we've, we've smelled the smoke of it. We've lived in the homes where you're just choked out and your eyes are watering. And you find yourself breathing out what you've breathed in. Free speech can be costly. Galatians 5 says this, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Married people in the room, a good starting point for you as a couple is to not bite and devour one another. Is there so much more to marriage? Yes! But that's a good starting place. To give some space for loving communication to grow is to stop biting and devouring one another. Paul paints a picture of love in sound waves and he uses a negative example first. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Ask yourself, how does your marriage sound? What kind of sounds are emanating from your relationship right now? Is it music that draws other people closer? Or is it noise that people tolerate, but eventually they don't want to spend time around you? It's possible to deceive ourselves here. We've gotten so used to the noise coming from our mouth. Maybe we've gotten into a rhythm with our spouse and there's no confrontation, there's no repentance, there's no dialogue about sin. And so we just deceive ourselves into thinking that things are great. Here's a common thing. A couple comes in to talk to me. I ask one person, typically the man, how's your marriage going? On a scale of 1 to 10. They say, it's about a 10. It's good. Really good. The body language of the woman tells me her number. If she's bold, here's what she says. She says, I'd say it's a 10 too, but put a decimal point between the 1 and the 0. Some say, move it over a notch. Let's play point one zero. That's where, our, where that's where we're at. Sometimes there is genuine and utter shock between the man and wife just having a third party ask a simple question and say, let's just put a number on it. Big disconnect. Many of us know that couple that's hard to be around due to the words that are pouring out around them. But someone has to be that couple, Right? So that's where, again, if, if, if you can't think of who it is, um, let the Spirit be your guide. 
So because speech is powerful, listen to Psalm 141. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It's a humble cry out to God to say, God, I need help with this. Number two is is that we underestimate the effectiveness of speech. George Bernard Shaw said this, The single biggest problem in communication... The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. We might think that we're being effective because we know what we mean, sort of. And we assume that others will as well. Communication is not easy. It's humbling to know that words are a small part of what is remembered. You know what I do every Sunday? I speak. And study after study says that you will remember very few of the words that I say. Communication specialists point out that when you talk with another person, there are actually six messages that come through. What you mean to say, what you actually say, what the other person hears, what the other person thinks he hears, what the other person says about what you said, and what you think the other person said about what you said. Are you discouraged yet? Communication is not easy. There's a book called How to Get Your Point Across in 30 Seconds or Less. It's a 120-page book. (laughs) If you're an audiobook person, it's 50 minutes long. Communication is not easy but complicated. I taught junior hires twice a week for years. One time I was teaching on relationships and I had this eager Australian foreign exchange student come up after, uh, after the sermon, notes in hand. He was wanting to clarify one of the points that I said, and he said this to me. He said, so I know that you said that to get to know someone that you would like to marry, you should live with them first, but I didn't get the fill-in. No, I didn't say that. No. I know we speak different languages, mate. But that is not what I said. I can assure you. I went home that night. I realized the power of speech. Thank you, God, for bringing the Australian kid to my attention. I mean, he could have gone out of there and said, I heard it in church. Sorry, Mom, Dad. I've got pastoral approval on this. But also the ineffective ability that I have to say what I think I'm saying and to have it received in a way that is actually what I'm saying. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? That's using your mouth in your name. Did we not cast out demons in your name? That's using your mouth. And do many mighty works in your name. And Jesus talking says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. A third killer to dialogue is underestimating your control of speech. James chapter 3, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so, and yet they are. Isn't this why we come? God, we need your grace. We need your help. Would you set a guard over my mouth? How often have you thought back on a conversation that got out of control? And if you have enough humility and you're walking with, in step with the Spirit, the lens turns on yourself. And you just go, God, how did I let myself not control that situation better? God, it was me. I inflamed that. I poured gasoline on the fire. I let out the poison. Even though I swore a day earlier at church, I would not do this again. Husband and wife, if you are not regularly in repentance and dependence for self-control of your mouth, start today. I can promise you, you need to do this. I can promise you, you have things to repent of. I can promise you, you have to depend on God to get this right. Slow down long enough to let the Spirit convict you. People in this room will attest week after week after week after week, and it won't cease, that Jesus is so merciful with the poor in spirit. I was meditating on a psalm this week that says this, Though the Lord is great, He cares for the humble, but He keeps His distance from the proud. Another translation says, He knows the proud from afar. I wonder if sometimes we don't feel close to God simply because of pride. We don't see our need. The fourth one, and this isn't a complete list for sure, but the fourth one I came up with was to realize that a dialogue breaker, a signal breaker of why you can't communicate lovingly with those around you is you underestimate the exposure of speech. And by exposure here, I mean laid bare, revealed. Who is Jesus? Listen to what he says. In John 14, he says this, Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. The dialogue in marriage goes south, and you can't understand why. This is a common thing. You just go, what just happened? What is happening? Maybe you've underestimated just how naked you are in front of your spouse. One of the profound mirrors that marriage is, and we have a lot of young couples in our church that would attest to this, is when you first get married... You think you're a really patient person. And then what happens is, God places a new best friend in your life who lives with you all the time. They hear you when you drive. They hear you when you talk on the phone. They hear you when you're tired. They hear you when you don't think they hear you. They hear you in your sleep. 
It is a giant mirror. It is humbling to get married. You will be exposed at the selfish, potentially self-righteous, proud, lazy, mouthy, disrespectful, and on and on I could go, that you are. And by God's design, that draws you together and onto your knees and say, God, help us. God, help me. Your spouse hears you not just on Sunday, but on Friday when you are telling your boss that you're sick and you're not. Your spouse hears you not just in front of someone, but behind someone's back. Your spouse hears you in these situations, and it's not hard to figure out that maybe they too will become the victim of your deceit. That maybe you, they too, as a spouse, will become the victim of your reviling once their back is turned. Matthew chapter 12 says this, The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the, his evil brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. What are the words that you are saying or typing say about you? What legacy are you leaving for people around you? In the news this week was Steve Jobs for a reason that Steve Jobs would not like to be in the news. I've read a couple of biographies about Steve Jobs because I'm pretty fascinated by him as a person and the fact that so much of it happened right around where I grew up. Five little words have a lasting effect and they speak to this verse. And by the way, when you hear this, don't hear me picking on a dead person. This is all of us. But it was reported this week, his daughter, whom all biographies would attest to, he denied that she was his daughter and wouldn't pay child support, although he was a billionaire. Just a lot of rough stuff that went on. And um, she came and reported this week in a memoir that came out that her this final words to his daughter, from Steve Jobs to this now woman, were these five words. You smell like a toilet. Steve Jobs never knew his birth parents. He tracked down who his dad was, and he knew who he was, but the dad didn't know. And he perpetuated the sin that was committed against him and lived out this truth that hurt people tend to hurt people. What I would say is this, without the power of Christ to break that cycle, you will repeat the sins of your fathers. You grew up in a yelling home, a belittling home, a name-calling home. Things that if you're an adult and you see that on a playground, you correct that in children because it's wrong. What happens is without the power of Christ to put a guard over your mouth, you will perpetuate those same things. And guess what? Your spouse bears the brunt of the pain of that. 
Conversely, your spouse bears the brunt of the joy of a dependent, repentant mouth that sings praises. All relationships are fueled by communication. It's like the lifeblood. And if you cut off the lines of communication, the relation ceases to move toward intimacy. Remember that was from from a couple of weeks ago, that every relationship is either moving toward or away from oneness, from intimacy. You cut off those lines or you choke those lines. Eventually it gets exhausting to try to communicate. And if they stay off long enough, the relationship dies in the same way that a body or a limb would die if blood ceases to flow through it. And this is why working hard at communication, hear me, working hard at communication is always worth it. Always. There's too much at stake. I've been reading John Muir's book called The Yosemite, and he describes this unbelievable scene as he's hiking up Upper Yosemite Falls. And mind you, this is a long time ago where there's not cutesy railings and all that kind of stuff. And he writes this. He says, but all this is invisible from the bottom of the valley. Like a thousand other interesting things. One must labor for beauty as for bread. Here as elsewhere. Husbands and wives, hear me. Do not quit the hike. Do not settle for views from the valley. Better days are ahead as you keep walking the path. One of the blessings of this church, it's an answer to prayer, is that we have all different age groups in here on any given Sunday. It's been that way for 11 years. We didn't sort of socially try to construct that and make it happen with programs We prayed and we said, God, we need people much older. We need people much younger and we need people in the middle. God's answered that prayer. Remember, no perfect people are allowed. But I tell you, there are some people with gray hair and I'm not talking about me, older people with gray hair. It's that gray that starts to turn blue. Those, those people, there are some gray haired people that you need to rub shoulders with. That you need, to, you need to just get around and say, can you tell me some of the things that, that made your marriage sort of the lifeblood? You could be doing great in marriage. Your communication lines haven't been choked out. You, you aren't in some dire situation. But just rubbing shoulders with people who've been at it a long time. We have gold in this room. We have many in this room, I know, they would be humble enough to share with you the power of keep at it. We have people that say, man, for 10 years, for 12 years, I, I just shut down. I sinned with my mouth and, and it costs me dearly. I'd love for you not to do that. We have others that just have had sort of a steady, good marriage. Get around these couples and talk to them. This is rapidly turning into three messages. Um, Listen, let me start at the very top. When we think about communication, I I believe what we just did in prayer um, helps set a tone for us that we can can hear and receive in different ways. 
There may have been more teaching that went on just as we got to hear from God's eternal life-giving word that, that might have sunk into a place in our soul that we needed uh, that, that, you know, that isn't there. But I, I want to I model more of that by saying let's, let's, let's look at the very top. Let's, let's see how God speaks. We did a whole series on what God is like, and one whole week was on the fact that he's a communicating God. God either reveals who he is or we're left to guess. Christian faith is built completely on revelation. God, God's told us. We don't have to go somewhere. We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. His very nature is that he communicates. Our marriages are to reflect this, and that includes our communication. So if you want life-giving, grace and truth-filled communication in your marriage, you look to God. He gives himself to us in revelation and he invites us to be open and bear before him. Hebrews 1 says this, long ago at many times in many ways God spoke. That's really key. He's revealed himself. He's given himself to us. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed uh, the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In many times and in many different ways, God spoke, but most clearly now in these last days, it's through Christ. Don't you begin to see why the scriptures are so valuable to us? The scriptures are this living link to the Christ. The Old Testament points forward to Messiah, to Jesus Christ who would be born. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sometimes called the Gospels, not only speak of the miraculous birth and the atoning death and the life-giving resurrection, but the conversations, which means that every conversation that we read in the Gospels is a model for us. This is what it looks like to speak well. Is it always comfortable? No. Do I always feel good reading it? No. Is it popular? Most certainly not. Most of the time. Acts through Jude looks back to Jesus and Revelation looks ahead to the certain return of a victorious Jesus. So if God's the perfect communicator, why don't we all understand him perfectly? It's because communication is two-way. Here's the point. If communication isn't received, it is not forming relationships. Husbands, you're to nourish and cherish your wife as your own body. If you are communicating and your wife is not receiving that, you are not nourishing the way you think you are nourishing. If you say cherishing things to her and you see her recoil, there could be millions of reasons why that is. Check that first. Get the, get the, get the breath right. If that's good, there's something wrong. Please... Keep digging. Why is it that when I say this, and I think I'm cherishing her, she recoils from that? Communication is two-way. It's possible to have God's words and still miss His voice. This kind of goes in line with the idea that word count doesn't always necessarily translate to how much communication is going on. Right? There's a lot of words here. And you can still miss it. Many people have their Bibles, but they don't write poetry about how valuable it is. They don't write how it's it's like honey to their taste. It's dusty. 
So just having conversations isn't there. Some people join the conversation, but it's just really misguided. We have that happen every mealtime in our house. We're talking about something, and I might be asking my son about his day and work and talking about adult things, and a child jumps in with the most random thing, and it provides moments of sort of you know laughter and whatnot. It really has nothing to do with what the conversation is. So we teach and we guide and we say, well, we're not really talking about that, actually. Some people have conversations and do use the Bible, which is perfect and holy and complete, but they use it for evil. They use it to say things that aren't there. The penalty for a false prophet, one who would say, thus saith the Lord, the Bible says, and it's not God's message, was death. One time. You have to have a perfect track record or else you're not a prophet. God clearly isn't speaking to you. Part of why people run from churches sometimes is that religious people tend to search diligently the words, but they miss the person speaking. This is something like going on a date with your wife, and as she's pouring out her heart, honey, how are you doing? You are busy transcribing every last word. Hang on a second. And you're just typing away as she's talking. Instead of participating in the conversation, you are transcribing the conversation. You've missed the person. The person talking to you eventually would stop talking. If communication isn't received, it is not forming relationship. One of the values we have at NBC is this. We say make it helpful, not just truthful. So just because you have it truthful, your work isn't done. Was Jesus full of truth? Yes. But part of him being full of grace is he went to extreme measures, great lengths, put forth tremendous effort to make it accessible to us. Make it helpful, not just truthful. Some people here speak the truth in love. They go, got that one down. You know, just by the way you said got that one down, I don't think you do. I bet you think you're a truth teller. And that you err a little bit sometimes on not being gracious. I think you're a dispenser of poison that comes off with the same lyrics, the same words, but completely missing the spirit. Of course, the converse is true as well. I once, I once while struggle to be upright and forthright, but I'm gracious. I want to be careful here because I'm speaking sort of in my own collective group of people that I care and pray for regularly. But us pastors, some churches really tickle ears. They are just feeding grace after grace after grace in the name of grace. But what it is, is man's wisdom that fades quickly or it's downright deceptive. By not just proclaiming to you the whole truth. So how this works in marriage is this. Model yourself after Jesus who didn't just spout off truth. But made it helpful. The burden is on the communicator. To get the message across. Don't spouses often just give in to despair and believe the lie that the other person will never understand and so they simply talk, stop talking? Friends, don't give up. That's settling for the view from the valley. Keep hiking. Keep at it. Don't believe that lie. 
If your child doesn't understand, you try and try again. You don't put the burden on the child and say, you're such a, and call them an idiot. You don't put the burden on them and say, oh, you're just useless and walk away. There's a grace we give to children that sometimes we don't extend to our spouse. Let me try this a different way. Let's try it at a different day. I think we're just at an impasse. God, help me to communicate to my husband so he's hearing what my heart wants to say. God, help me to communicate to my wife. Give me the strength to do it. Words have the power to form and nourish relationships. What do I say to you over and over and over and over again? If you come to me with a problem... It's not because I don't have other thoughts about what you could or should do. I will almost always come back to say this. Are you in prayer? Are you in the word? I mean, God's kept it simple for me. Dave, keep telling people to be in the word. Keep telling them to be in prayer. What is that? That's communication. That's called dialogue. That's how you dialogue with God. I've been so helped by other people who've given me principles and ideas and little steps and you know, kind of ways to break it down, handles on the truth to kind of help pull myself forward. But if I could boil it down to something so fall off the log easy and yet it'll take a lifelong pursuit is to be a person of the word and to be a person of prayer. That nourishing of relationship, you will be cherished by God in that relationship. And that will spill out into your marriages. That will spill out into your relationships, good, bad, and ugly that you have throughout the rest of the week. God, thank you so much for the clarity that you give. Thank you so much for the struggle, for the mystery. God, we can all call out times in our life when we wondered where you were, we wondered why you had pulled back. We felt like we were talking to the ceiling. And we would say, God was drawing us out deeper. God, life with you is not stagnant, it's life giving. God, I pray over all of the romantic relationships in this room right now. God, whether that be in the confines and beauty of the marriage covenant, God, whether that's someone pointing toward marriage or someone just beginning a relationship, God, I pray that our mouth would be guarded by you. I pray that we would open our lips to praise you. God, when we fail, when we curse, When we spew out put-downs instead of praise, God, would you give us the grace and the strength to be quick to repent, quick to renounce that, and not settle into a groove and let it reside. Thank you, God, for giving us your word. In Jesus' name, amen.